Welcome to Mommy's on a Call, your sacred space to laugh, learn, and feel like a real grown-up human for a hot minute. I'm Stephanie Uchima Carney, a mom of three under six, serial entrepreneur, business strategist, and donut connoisseur, just trying to get through the day one cold cup of coffee at a time. I believe that with more intention, a positive mindset, and self-care, it is possible to thrive in motherhood, business, and life. My mission is to uncover the daily rituals, life lessons, real-life tactics, and favorite tools to inspire and empower you, mommy, to get the most out of life every single unpredictable day. So grab your headphones, tell your kids you're on the potty, and tune in weekly for some laughs, knowledge bombs, and plenty of real talk with real moms, and maybe a dad or two. Welcome to the Mommy Pod. Hi, and welcome back to Mommy's on a Call. This week, I'm excited to bring on Dr. Sarah Rattray. She's a leading couple psychologist and founder and CEO of the Couples Communication Institute. She's been working with couples in Seattle for over 30 years, and she specializes in teaching loving, effective, connected communication. And I absolutely love that one of her titles is that she works with couples to rekindle their relationship. She's also a mom of three, ages ranging from 21 to 29. Welcome, Dr. Sarah. Thank you for having me, Stephanie. Well, I know you said your daughter just left to go back to college, but I wanted to ask, what is your biggest mom win of the week? Well, my biggest mom win of the week is two weeks with her home from college, and we got along really well. She is a lovely young woman. And after all those years of parenting here at home, it's such a proud and relieving moment. Like, wow, she's a great person. Oh, well, you must be proud to have three amazing children. How is she doing in college? How is that going? So I assume she's not distance learning college. Her college is full of kids who really are focused on staying healthy. So some of her classes are in person. A lot of them are distant, but she has roommates and she's pretty happy, although disappointed. You know, this is her senior year and it's not what she had hoped for. And how are you feeling as a mom going through all of this? It is a struggle. One thing is wishing, I have a big birthday coming up and I had planned for more than a year to have all my children come visit. And I gave them warnings like, save the date, you're coming home no matter what. And they're not coming home. And it's just something I have to give up for COVID. Did you, are you going to do anything special in in its place? Haven't figured it out. Haven't (laughs) figured that out yet. (laughs) Oh, well, I hope regardless of what you do, it's super, super special. I'm not going to ask. You look like you're about 30. So, you know, we're going to keep it as that. Yes. Well, you know, my oldest is 29. So (laughs) yeah, I guess exactly. (laughs) Well, I wanted to start off by giving a little context for the audience. Talk a little bit about your motherhood journey to date, where you're at right now and your business, because you have a thriving practice, you deal with couples, but I know it didn't start there. So where did it all begin? Well, what I'm doing now is actually a little different from the previous 30 years. So I was in private practice, but I was kind of the secondary breadwinner. So my husband, you know, had the full-time job, he had the health insurance. And so I was the parent on call. I worked close enough to be able to go into the kids' schools if I needed to, you know, the, the emergency, like come pick up your kid. That was always me. And private practice worked really well because I could 
focus on my clients in my office and come home and I had no other work to do. So in the working parent sense, it, it was a really good fit, but I also really didn't get to fully explore all the possibilities of my career because I really was doing it part-time. And an enormous, enormous shift happened when my last child went, moved away, and I had so much time and brain focus to myself. I, I can't tell you how tremendous it was to be able to think a thought all the way through without a child interrupting me. And my business has really shifted because I have the brain space to do that. You're like the opposite of mommy's on a call right now. <laughs> and I am always like, hold on one second. I'm trying to get work done, but I have kids running in and trying to focus. So I love that you were doing both. You had your hand in both. Where did you make that shift in also your private practice in what you were focusing on? What inspired you to get to this point where you're really working with, I know you work with all sorts of couples, but working with couples on really rekindling their relationship. How did that inspiration come? So after, as you said, 30 years in private practice, I really felt at the pinnacle of my career, frankly. I, I had couple after couple where I really could see who was successful and who was not successful. And I felt very limited in the numbers of couples that I could help in my office. So I decided it was time to create online programs that I could offer to couples that weren't therapy. And I really started diving into that and what I found was so many of my couples, the biggest complaint was being distant and disconnected. And, you know, underneath that, having trouble communicating was really driving the distance and disconnection. And so putting together my inspiration to provide online programs, you put that together with COVID, I stopped seeing couples at the start of COVID when Washington State basically shut down. And I devoted all my energies to creating these programs. Well, I want to touch a little bit about that because I know there's a lot of moms out there who might be a therapist on the side, dealing with their kids or have a type of service business that they want to maybe bring online so that they can scale or reach more people. What were kind of the first steps you took into doing that? Did you join a program? Did you just do research online? How did you make that switch from being an in-person therapist to starting online courses? Stephanie, I think we need to set up another three-hour call <laughs> for me to answer that question. It has not been a straight line and it is not anything that I thought it was going to be. So everything that you've ever heard that it takes, you know, three or 10 times as long as you expect, it, it takes so much longer. I thought, oh, I have a great idea. I'll just create a program and people will sign up for it. No. So I have been learning, you know, about marketing and copywriting and list building and all these things that I never had to do in private practice. Private practice, my phone rang. Someone said, Are you, do you have openings? We would talk for 15 minutes. I would say, come on in. Or I'd say, find somebody else. And <laughs> when did you start that. doing this? When did you start transferring into online? Was it just at the beginning of COVID or was it years and years ago? I actually 
learned a lot about functional health. And through that, I started learning about online business. But the decision to start an online couples program was about two years ago, Stephanie, when I took a money mindset class and we had to talk about, like uncover some limiting beliefs from our childhoods. And my mind was blown when I realized that I had a limiting belief that I could not do video, that there was, you know, something wrong with me. I was uniquely like, bad, like don't ever do that was a limiting belief from negative talk from my childhood. And that belief was absolutely exploded. This one homework from this one class, it was January, two years ago. And I said, oh my God, I could be on video and I am going to help couples using video. That was the start of it. So powerful. Wow. Was it just uncovering that mindset or was that just uncovering that mindset block or what did you do to, I guess, overcome that? Did you just make a switch and say, wow, that's interesting. That was my limiting belief. I'm just going to you know, push it aside. Or did you work through it? How did you approach that? Well, the first thing I did that very day was I made a video for the program that I was in and I announced on video like something like this is my limiting belief and I can do video. And then I watched it and I was like, that was fine. That was good. I, I like, that was not a bad thing. And that just, that moment changed it all. Like owning that I could be confident and that I, here's here it is, Stephanie. I have a voice and I had grown up believing I did not have a voice. So this one mind blowing day, I have a voice and it's a good one. I mean, yes, I have done a ton of things since then, but but that one mind shift opened up the doors to everything I'm doing right now. Wow. And taking that leap, I mean, going on video, no one's going to die. You're not going to die. You know, it's one of those things where it's so simple and it's crazy and it just gives you that positive momentum to keep going forward. So that's, wow. I'm proud of you so- for that. I'm glad because now you're on video and now you're sharing and now you're hopefully going to be on TV and be seen. So (laughs) absolutely. But Stephanie, I know we're jumping ahead, but what you just said, you said, you're not going to die. No one's going to die. And we're jumping ahead, but that is really practically at the heart of what I work with couples on because couples either are afraid to talk with each other or, you know, they're, they're worried about it. They don't want to dive in. And it's so crucial to realize, yes, your conversation might be uncomfortable, but you're not going to die. And getting over the discomfort, talking about something important with your partner opens the door to so much. So I know we're jumping. No, ahead, I actually want to start I, unpacking that. No, let's start unpacking that because I really love that frame. So a lot of my audience out here, they are millennial moms or so, maybe a little older, and they all have kids around like elementary school age or preschool age, or even younger, like myself, or, you know, I have three kids juggling it all ages five years and younger. And 
we are so focused on our children. What activities are they doing? What school are they going to go to? All my conversations, you know, with my husband started off with everything is about the kids. I will never forget the one time, the first time we went out on our first date after having our first son, we stared at each other and we're like, what do we talk about that isn't our kid? And we started making that kind of a rule. Like when we go out, let's not talk about the kids. Let's talk about us. And for quarantine and the pandemic for us, it has made us so much stronger. I appreciate this time because for us, we got to talk about so many different things and it was like having pillow talk every day. And I personally enjoyed it. However, on the flip side, I have a lot of friends who this opened up Pandora's box of problems. And unfortunately, some of them are leading to divorce. And so I want to tap into your expertise on relationships and rekindling your relationship and backtracking to how can we make sure we don't end up 18 years from now, our kids going to college and realizing we don't know each other anymore. We don't like each other without our kids. And what are we going to do? So maybe let's, let's go back and let's talk about commonalities. Maybe you see with clients and then maybe three ways we can start addressing it today so that someone can leave right now and take action on it. Yes. Yes. You, first of all, I'd love that you and your partner have found this time of strength and connection and are really reveling it. So that is, that is so good to hear. And some of your friends who are the opposite, it's really common. And yeah, COVID is making it worse, but this is what I've heard in my practice for so long. So I, I want to share a couple that I saw maybe just a year before COVID. And, and one of the partners came in and, and almost proudly announced when we had children, we parked our relationship. And, you know, they were they both came from challenging backgrounds with their parents and they were dedicated to being great parents. But this, this sort of actual plan to park their relationship and be 100% parents, they came to me because they could hardly talk. They hardly knew each other anymore. And anyway, I know what I want to start with, but is there anything you want to say before I dive in? No, you can, you can go. <laughs> so... What I want to talk about is the urgent as opposed to the important. And I'll venture to guess upwards of 90% of couples, they will talk shorthand about what's urgent. So as I think you might have said to me before we started recording, every conversation is simply about the children. It's I mean, or to-do lists or like, like, what do you, what's your calendar? You know, what are you doing? What's your schedule? Like who's doing this? Where I'm going to go to the grocery store here. Like what time are you going to be home tomorrow? Can you watch the kids? Everything is the right now. What's in the next 24 hours? What's in the next seven days? Or I have a business trip in two weeks. Okay. Can you put that on our shared Google calendar? It's all tactical. Like what are we doing? And it's shorthand. And it's just, I'm informing you and I'm assuming you hear me and I'm assuming you're going to act on it or requiring that you act on it. And that's our communication. So if it's when we had school, you know, 10 minutes before it's time to get them out the door to school, you're like, who's picking him up? Who's picking her up? And that's all we're, that's it. And it's the urgent. Now, 
your nurturing your relationship with your partner is the is important, but it's not seemingly urgent. So if I don't say something loving to you today, if I don't tell you that I like you today, no, not, we're not dying today. We're not getting divorced today. So it drops off the urgent. But I want to turn this on its head just a little bit with, a, with one or two little examples. So let's say my kids are going to school, which nobody is, but let's say I'm driving to school and I see I'm out of gas, like totally out of gas, and I won't be able to get them to school. I have to change my plans. I drop everything, we detour, we go to the gas station, and then we go to school. Or something that happened to me here just two weeks ago, it was raining just torrentially here for a couple of weeks, more rain in Seattle than we ever get. And then we had a power outage and my basement sump pump was flooding. I had other things to do. I canceled everything. I was downstairs bailing out the sump pump with buckets for about an hour and a half or two hours until the power came back on. It didn't matter what was on my list. I was bailing out the sump pump. Now, we can all make time for those urgent, emergent things that come up. We all make time, whatever it is, we do find a way to squeeze in that time. And I have to say that if you don't want to be like your friends or your family who end up alone, you must squeeze in time for your partner. You absolutely have to. You cannot, quote unquote, park it. You just can't. You can't take for granted, well, my partner will be there when we reemerge from this. No, you just have to say, we have to carve out time. And I'm going to say something more about that, but, but I want to give you a chance. Is there something? I wanted to ask about carving out that time. Now, I don't need productivity hacks on how to do that. But what I do want to know is we carved out that time. Great. We dedicate, you know, a two hour date night or whatnot. What do we do to fill that time? What are the most effective pieces of communication we can use? What are things that questions we should be asking each other ourselves? How can we fill those limiting moments we have with each other with the most value packed, nurturing, I guess, tools? Yeah. So here's a really wonderful, powerful one. Now, you know that when you're going through your day, if you have any free moments in your own head, you, you, you think about stuff, like whatever you like to think about that you dwell on. Here's what I want to encourage everyone to do is begin to let your mind wander to your partner and what you appreciate about your partner in a lot of different categories. What are you grateful for? What do you like about them? What are they good at? What is something that they did that really you admired or that warmed you or that brought you closer or that turned you on or that helped you out. Let yourself, make yourself, let your mind wander to that. And then when you have those minutes together, say this out loud. So if I don't remind myself to do that, if the couples that I work with don't remind myself we're going to think about the things that irritate us. Oh my God, there's his socks on the floor again. Seriously? Seriously? No. Yeah. And instead of saying to myself, seriously, couldn't I let my mind think, 
wow, my partner emptied the dishwasher again. I sure hate to empty the dishwasher. And my partner did it for me. That is so thoughtful. I really love that. But inside is only part of it. Coming out and saying it is the other part. So when you have time, you have three minutes or you have two hours, start out with letting your partner know out loud some details of what you appreciate. Honey, the other day I was listening to you do ABC and I noticed you did this and you did that. And I feel, list it, lay it out. I I felt so inspired by you, or I felt so proud of you. That is an awesome way to connect. And when you appreciate your partner, they feel seen, heard, and likely understood as well. They, it, it just fills a person, I, I don't know the word, with, with this feeling of, of just connection and closeness. Like, oh my God, my partner really likes me. What an awesome feeling. I think we need to send this to the dads also, or the partners out there, not just the dads, sorry, but the partners out there the so partners. that they hear it, because I would love to feel the same way. So instead of me just dishing it, <laughs> receiving it also. Yes. Now, let me, let me, let me tell you something. Here's a little thing that, that, well, this is a central thing that I teach couples in my new online course is how to ask your partner for what you need. So to ask your partner for what you need, let's say you want to hear this from your partner. Can you think of a time that they did do it? Maybe it was three months ago. You start out the conversation. I mean, there's a lot more steps, but you start out the conversation with, honey, I remember that time when we were on the walk together and you told me how proud you were of my whatever the thing was. I just, that made me feel so close to you. And then you ask, I would love it if you said more things like that to me, because it would help me feel that close to you more often. Could you please do that? So you can learn how to let your partner know, I want to hear this. It feels good. How about those women who were actually afraid to speak up? So we were talking about it, you know, a few minutes ago about you're not going to die, but like, what if we're afraid to speak up and ask for these things? I know Are are there any tools we could use to help ourselves communicate better? So a couple of totally different suggestions. One suggestion is if you're about to want to have a conversation with your partner, take a few minutes to calm down and relax. And even if your kids are around, what can you do to calm down and relax? If you, if you have a cat, can you pet the cat? Can you go in the bathroom? Can you take a shower for a few minutes? What can you do? Take a few deep breaths, or if you're a meditator, what can you do to relax your muscles and calm down? So understanding that if our body is in a state of fight or flight, we're going to be far more frightened about what's confronting us than if we let our bodies calm down. And you don't want to forge ahead. If you're really scared, if your heart is pounding, if you're really in fight or flight, it's probably not a good time for you to bring this up. It probably just period won't work. But then the other thing is I encourage couples to break down conversations into little segments. And there are 
I'm going to call them pre-conversations that you might have to have before you have a conversation. So let's say you say to yourself, gosh, I really want to bring this up, but I'm worried because I'm worried that my partner always does X when I talk. Then first you need to have a conversation about, I'm worried that my partner always does X when I talk. Or if you say, yes, but if I have that conversation, then I'm worried of this other thing. Back it up, back it up, back it up until you realize, okay, here's the starting point. What is your basic worry? Maybe it's my partner will not put down their device, you know, not put down their screen. So oh, that's a point of that's a point of contention in our household. Although yes. I've been accused of it too. And instead of communicating, I feel like I get defensive. I'm like, no, I you do it during dinner. I only do it during, you know, bath. Or I when I realize that my screen time is probably the same, it's just I notice it and then I get an angry and I get annoyed <laughs> and then I don't want to say anything. And then all of a sudden I become very snarky and nagging and then it becomes defensive on his end because I, the way I'm communicating is accusatory and then I get defensive and it's like that conversation unravels. And that is so common. That is so, so, so common. One thing is to think about what it is that you're feeling and what is it that you need. When, when we're talking and you look down at your phone I feel disconnected from you. I want to feel closer to you when we're talking. It would help me feel closer if you could put your phone away when we're talking. And then ask your partner, how is this for you? We want to try to dialogue, not just say our, our make our point. So this is how it comes across to me. How is it for you? I want to hear. I'm curious. And let's say my partner says, well, I can multitask. I can listen. You want to validate them. You want to say, it makes sense to me that inside you, you feel like you can multitask. I get it. I hear you saying that for you, you feel you can hear me and look at something at the same time. Is that what you're saying? I get it. But that's not the end of the conversation. But if we either dismiss our partner's point of view or don't even give them a chance to say it, it it does create this snarkiness, this defensiveness, this, you know, back and forth. So on that point, I actually had a question and maybe it just comes down to tone. A lot of times, this is what I learned also in parenting class on how you deal with disciplining your children and how you communicate with them and validating their feelings. I'm curious. Sometimes I do that with my husband. It's like, I understand you feel this way, but maybe I shouldn't have said, but (laughs) he sometimes says, well, you're speaking to me in a very condescending manner. Like, thank you for validating my feelings, but I'm more, maybe it's just the tone. So I'm curious that like, how do partners tend to react when they use that method that you are saying, do they react well, or is it just based on tone? Stephanie, you brought up something really important and tone is enormous and we can't pretend that we don't have the tone because we have the tone. And I learned a tremendous amount from Dr. John Gottman of the Gottman Institute. Like I would say the, the world's foremost researcher in relationships. And one of the patterns he identified between couples is contempt. Contempt is taking a one-up to a one-down position, acting as if you're right, you're the one who knows things, you're the smart one, and your partner is either 
wrong or dumb or an idiot or less than. And it is famously often, especially for teenage girls, accompanied with a tremendous eye roll and a lip sneer. But between partners, you might suppress the eye roll, but it's going to come across in the tone. And I did this for a long time. I had what I now call dishwasher contempt. And I if I was talking to you about my partner, I would say something to you like, oh my God, can you look at how he loaded the dishwasher? And it's, I'm dripping with contempt. What I'm saying is he's an idiot. I'm the smart one. I know how to do it. He doesn't know how. So here's a really tremendous shift. It's not about the how it's based on this. This is I don't know how much time we have left to really dive into I love this because I feel like my husband right now would be like, this is you in a nutshell. Like, can you please learn from this? <laughs> yes. Now, Steffi, I have to say it's the huge issue I, I have found with people who are really smart and capable. The smarter you are, the more capable you are, the more confirmation you've had over time in your life that you do things a good way. You know, and you remember we started out by talking about the urgent and the shortcuts look, let's just shortcut the whole thing. I'll just tell you that you're doing it wrong. Here's the right way. Done. We can move on. Oh my God, you're headed for some big trouble. This is, <laughs> this is, the, this is the biggest problem that Gottman has identified in his research. So the difference, instead of talking about how to do a thing, it's the value that we have. Since I brought up the dishwasher, I'm going to stick to the dishwasher you might not think that there are values involved in dishwasher loading, but for me, I had literally read Consumer Reports magazine cover to cover when I was a kid. My parents got that. I loved it. I would read their articles and they, when they talked about things like dishwashers, they had this rubric of ultimate cleanliness, which dishwasher and which configuration yielded the ultimate cleanliness of the dishes. So in my mind, I, you know, in big air quotes, knew the right way to do it for ultimate cleanliness. But believe it or not, there are other values when it comes to loading the dishwasher. And when I work with couples, I'll ask them to guess and, you know, they'll throw out ideas, but I'm going to shortcut See, shortcut, because we were short on time today in the podcast. But here's one value. What if your value is to spend as little time in the kitchen to get back out and spend time with the family? Wow, that's a cool value. What if your value is to shove as much in there as you possibly can? Well, that's, that's, that sounds derogatory. To put as much as you can because you want to save water and energy. So the more I can put in the dishwasher, the more water and energy I can save. Well, that's a good value. What if your value is to group everything together so when it's time to unload the dishwasher, everything is really easy, like all the forks are next to each other, all the saucers are next to each other. Well, that's a good value. So now when we have different values, I can appreciate your value even if it's not my top value. So if you say to me, well, Sarah, my top value is to spend as little time in the kitchen as possible so I can have time with you. My heart's going to melt. I'm like, oh, oh, that's the nicest thing I've ever heard. I just, oh, I want to spend time with you too. And now here are a couple of powerful words, Stephanie. Given that, given that your value 
is to spend as little time in the kitchen as possible to spend time with me. And given that my value is ultimate cleanliness of the dishes, check this out, Stephanie, how can you and I be a team together to meet both of our values in a new creative way that we haven't come up with before? Ah, Makes so much sense. We're basically working for different goals, but don't realize it. And so we each think each other's doing it wrong. Whereas it's just, we're not communicating our point. And you're not how can communicating we work or even realizing. Yeah. You're not even realizing yeah. this is based on a value. Now, this see what makes sense and, is if your value was ultimate cleanliness and my value is ultimate cleanliness, now we can have a discussion. We can be right. like, huh, let's really piece this out. But if your value is as little time spent and I tell you you're doing it wrong, I'm telling you you're doing it wrong for ultimate cleanliness. You're probably doing it right for as little time spent in the kitchen as possible. So we're talking about two different things without realizing it. And this is actually, it can also apply to children. I feel like when I communicate with my children, you could use these tactics too, because a lot of times kids just want, you know, more playtime or whatever their value is. And we want something different and we're not communicating that. Absolutely, (laughs) Stephanie. Absolutely. Yes, honey. I, I, I get it. It makes sense that you want more playtime. I want that for you too. I sure wish you could play some more. I see how much fun you're having. At the same time, we you need, need to be to doing get... school time, like schoolwork. Yeah. So let's figure out, let's maybe put more fun time after school or, you know, yeah. let's, let's work on this together. How can we put this together? Now, of course, as a parent, you're not their peer. You are one up. And right. that's the thing. Parenting is a one up position. But with your partner, your peers, you're not one up. And when you one up someone, they're going to use the word that you brought up before, condescending. Stop mm-hmm. being so condescending. Stop talking down to me. Stop talking to me like you're my mother. All of those words let you know that there's contempt. <laughs> hey, I'm going to have to look him up. I'm going to have to research this more. It's something that I personally need to focus on. But I feel like a lot of moms, we tend to get in that bucket and we do this because we think oh, yeah. mom knows best, you know, oh, yeah, it's, totally. and that's just the thing. Like, you know, it's whew, wow, a lot to unpack. I mean, I could talk to you forever about different things, but I guess we do have to wrap it up a little. So any last kind of parting words of wisdom for parents right now on how to survive this time together? So we, we kind of veered <laughs> off, but I want to remind your listeners to appreciate your partner's And to say that out loud, to let them know. And the other thing, we barely have touched on it, but when you listen to your partner, think about listening to be super curious and interested in who they are and what they're thinking and not listening just long enough so that you can make your point. So when you have that time together, again, whether it's five minutes or whether it's two hours, listen to your partner and think to yourself, do I have a picture in my mind of what my partner is thinking or feeling or wanting? And let them know like, wow, honey, I'm hearing you say A, B, and C. Is that what you're thinking about or something like that? Don't just think, don't don't just listen just long enough so that you can say your side. And that, I'm laughing because that I feel like half of my conversations are that like I'm stewing in my head. I'm like, but I want to say this, but I want to say that. So 
Thank you. For and, and yeah, and that's how we mostly talk. It's there's not something bad or unusual about people who do that. It's that's that's what we're doing, and part of it is being pressed for time. How can but, we practice? I guess doing that better or anything we can do to be a better effective listener when talking to our partners? Well, I do go really in depth with uh, in this with, on my course, teaching you all the little tiny to-do nuances, steps, yes. nuances, but this framework will probably be super helpful. If you are let's say a podcast interviewer, or if you are a reporter, you are going to be super curious about the person you're talking to. And you're not, for the most part, going to be jumping to any assumptions. So if you're an investigative reporter, you're going to say, you're going to ask a question, and then you just sit back and listen, and you're taking notes, and you're saying things like, wow, that's so interesting. Tell me more. And Oh, so I hear what you're saying is you you think it's, you know, whatever. And you ask deepening questions, deepening questions. So think about treating your partner with that level of interest and curiosity. That's a great way to think about practicing. Don't think about, I'm just going to, well, I know what he's going to say. I know what she's going to say. You know, we've had this conversation a hundred times. I don't need to listen. I know where this is going. No, here's what I want to close with. Every moment between you and your partner or between you and your children is the opportunity to get closer together or to push the two of you farther apart. So it's more the way that you talk rather than what you're talking about. So if you're talking about your pickup schedule with the children, how do you treat each other? Are you treating each other with respect and politeness and and as if you cherish them? Do you thank them? Thank you for letting me know about your schedule or, oh, wow, I forgot about that meeting you have. Good luck, honey. You know, take that extra time to let them know how important they are and to really listen. So when you are together, realize that the way I listen to my partner, tell me what's on their mind, the way I'm listening is my opportunity to bring the two of us closer. If my goal is to make my point, what's going to happen is that pushes the two of us farther apart. So there's the content of what we're discussing and there's the process. And we always want that process to be bringing the two of us closer together. Wow. Well, thank you for all of that. That was, I'm going to have to re-listen to this and take some notes and put into practice some of these, as I'm sure a lot of my audience out there will too. So where can we find you? Well, I have my new online business separate from my (laughs) private practice is Couples Communication Institute. So I'm at the I'm at couplescommunicationinstitute.com. And depending on when your listeners hear this, I will have one or more courses ready to go to really break this down for people so you can really know how to communicate with your partner as effectively as possible. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I loved having you on. Thank you, Dr. Sarah. You're welcome, Stephanie. This is a pleasure and have me back anytime. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mommy's on a Call. Your support means the absolute world to me. You can find the show notes for this episode and other goodies over at mommiesonacall.com. 
And if you enjoyed this episode or have gotten value from the podcast, I would be so grateful if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review so that we can reach and empower more moms all over the world together. Thank you so much again, Mommy Pod, and I will see you here next time. Bye.